Okay, so uh, just before we start, just to mention uh, the dedications. Uh, again, it's it's a couple people anonymously. Yehuda Pellet for Atzacha, those that are learning Hashivenu. Avi Hershkowitz, Zechanishbas Hinda, Bas Yisitzia Levi, Nisham Shavalia, Michael, Nisham Gila, Bas Shloiman, Le Bas Afraim, Nisham Shavalia. Mr. Lord, she's Rufu Shlem Yehudas Basmirim, she's Rufu Shlem Bekarev, by Dani Sasson, Nishama of Yitzchak Ben Chaim Alevi. Menashe Wai is just, uh, he knows it's uh, thanks for all that that are Isaac and Medaf. And um, by Moshe Singer, Lazech Nishmas, Yaakov Ben Shragafev Alevi, Sarah Leib Ashmul Tzvi, Ilchana Ben Pesach, Tvar Yesbach, Yacht Bas Rav Yeshua, and Rav Avram Ben Harav Baruch, all Nishama Shavanulia. Okay, so let's pick it up from where we left off. So we're up to the bottom of Nun Amid Beis, but let me just quickly review what the Gemara was talking about. The Mishnah had said that if someone steals, let's say I, I sell you land, yeah? I sell you land uh, worth $10,000, and then you have fruit that you've been growing, improvements to the land, the chule. You put in $10,000, and then there's a, a much larger investment that you potentially put on. Turns out it was stolen. The cops come and seize the land from you. So you're able to come and get land back from me because I sold you stolen land. You're able to collect that land even from property that I sold. So if I sold land to, to you, you can take it from him. However, the Mishnah said, you are only allowed to claim from the sold property the value of the land that you paid for. The value of the improvements that you made or the fruit that was growing on the land, you can't. That you can just get from my liquid cash. You cannot take that from sold property. And the question was why? So yesterday we said one opinion and that was Ula. Ula said the reason was it's not written in the star. Meaning when you buy a, 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 a field from me, it's written in the bylaws that if it's stolen, you can come and take it from property that I sold. But there is zero reference in any documents to any improvements that you made or any value of the fruit on the land. And because it's not written in any documents, when I sold the land to you and you're coming to take it, that's not fair. When a person buys land, they know there's certain risks involved. They look at the, the rules and they say, well, okay, if land was stolen from this guy, then they're going to come potentially take it from me. They'll take it to reimburse land that was stolen. So you sort of protect yourself. But if people are just, if you're just seizing land, when I didn't even know that that was a thing, <laughs> you understand? So because it's not written in the document that you might come to collect it from encumbered property, we don't do it. So because it's not written down. Okay. Now, Rav Hanina has a different shot. Rav Hanina, second line from the bottom, he says very simply, Lufishen Suvim. There's no set amount. Meaning, when I, when I buy land, when I do business, the concept of taking land that's sold and just taking it away from them is really not good for commerce. Because I'm not going to buy land if I know it's going to be taken away from me. But at least I know, okay, worst case scenario, he sold in the last year. Let's say I'm doing business with you. I do a background check. I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm buying land from you. He sold three parcels of land in the last year. Each one was worth $10,000. There's a chance some of it's stolen. I get it. It's a risk. Worst case scenario, he's going to have stolen $30,000 worth of land. I'm in for $30,000. I know the amount. But the a value of, of add-ons, the value of the fruit on, the value of the, uh, of the, of the stuff that you added to the land, it, 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 the improvements are, 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 are very hard. I, I don't know how much it is. So potentially... 
you're coming seizing land, and I'm like, well, how much? How much does this guy owe the guy? They come like we're seizing land because the guy that you did business with stole land from someone else, and we're seizing. I'm like, okay, how much was the stolen land? Ten thousand. How much are the improvements? It could be one point four million. Like one point four million, like that's crazy. And the problem is, is it's hard to know. It's hard because yeah, they could legitimately put a palace. Because the first one is that it's a matter of whether it's written in the document. This, it's not a matter of whether it's written and whether it's common knowledge that you might come to take the land from the improvements. Over here, the improvements have no set amount. It's not a matter of whether it's written in the document. It's, I don't know the amounts of the improvement. Meaning, according to the first opinion, if you were to write in the document, you will be responsible that all the improvements might be taken from encumbered property. You'd be like, okay, fine. Well, you wrote it down. I'm aware of it. The second chart is, I don't know written. It has to do with the amount. I don't know the set amount. So I can't protect myself. Right? I can't be like, okay, well, worst case scenario, if they take this land, I know I have this. But like, I don't know how much they're going to take. They could take everything. So because of that, we're not going to just have you take sold property if there's no set amount. It's not ktsuvin. That's the second thing. So the first opinion is a matter of whether it's written in documents or not. The second opinion is whether it's whether there's a set amount or not. Land value has a set amount. Improvements doesn't. Okay. So th- exactly. Iboyelahu... The question is like this, according to Rav Hanina, you see, according to the first opinion, if you want to take land that's stolen, uh, uh, take land that's sold from someone and take it away from him, the, the barometer is, is it written in the document or not? If it's written in the document that you might do this, go ahead. If it's not written, I'm not going to do it. That's, that's the barometer. Rav Hanina says it's a matter of whether it's a set amount. The question is, according to Rav Hanina, let's say it's a set amount, but it's not written down. Let's say there is a value, there is a, 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 a set amount, right? I do business with you, right? Um, you, okay, I sold you $10,000 worth of land, and now the Bezdin wants to take it away from you. Why? To pay off certain debts that I have. So according to the first opinion, I'm only going to do that if those debts are written down. According to the second opinion, it's only if there's a set amount. The question is, if it's a set amount, but it's not written down, will they take it? Let's say there's a set amount. That, I don't know. Everyone knows that I have to pay off tuition. I, I don't know, whatever it is. I'm not, I'm not giving a good example, but there are set amounts of money that I owe, but it's not written anywhere. So when we did business, it wasn't like you wrote in the document, you might lose the property if. But no, it's not written anywhere, but, but it's a set amount. It's not like improvements. The question is, does it need to be a set amount and written, or just a set amount is enough? Even if it's not written anywhere, we will take property if it's a set amount. So the Gemara says, okay. So Tashimah, let's bring a proof. The proof is as like this. I'm, I'm going to explain to you the case. It's a roundabout case, but basically, the kids are nimrits. The halacha is that when a man passes away, the, the inheritance goes to the sons, but the daughters, first of all, they get taken care of financially through the sons. The sons give them food, give them money, but also a dowry. They get 10% of the estate to go into their marriage as a dowry. 10%. Okay? That's not written anywhere. It's not like it's written in the ksuba, it's not written anywhere, but it's understood it's 10%. The halacha is we will take away property that is sold in order to have her estate, be, have her dairy. No Correct. It, well, uh, it's not written, but it's a set amount. So therefore, so the Gemara says like this, We're trying to get to that point. The point is to prove that we will take sold property that the father sold in order to pay off the dowry of 10%. Even though the 10% dowry is not written anywhere, Right? It's not written in any document that when you buy property, you might be taken away because of a dowry, but it's a set amount. It's 10%. And you see that set amount is all you need. Now, how we're explaining that case, instead of just saying the halacha, we're going about an interesting case. Cases like this. A father leaves um, uh, a son and two daughters. So who gets the estate? The son. 
Now the two daughters, they get 10% for their potential marriage. Now here's, I'll tell you outside, we'll see what happens. I'll, I'll, tell, I'll tell you outside, we'll see what inside. You have two daughters, Rachel and Leah. Rachel's like, I'm going to take the 10% now. I'm going to get married soon. I'm taking the 10% now. She, she takes 10%, allocates it in a different bank account for her dowry. Then the son died. So now the entire estate is split evenly between the two sisters. The first opinion says, then Leah, who didn't take the 10%, loses out. Why? We only give you 10% when you're not getting half the estate. If you're getting half the estate, we're not giving you 10%. So because Rachel jumped ahead and she took 10%, great, she won out. So now they split the rest. Leah doesn't get special 10% because she gets 50% of the entire estate. That's the first opinion. The second opinion says, no, if we take... If we take encumbered property, if we will undo a sale to give her a dowry, we are definitely going to give her a dowry. So according to the second opinion, we'll take 10%. Before we split the entire estate, we'll give 10% to Leah, then split the remainder. So the machlekes is, does the second sister who didn't take 10%, does she get a special 10% or just get half the estate? But the point is, the second opinion says, we sell encumbered property even though it's not written anywhere. So see it inside. A man dies and he leaves a son, a son and two daughters. So the two daughters don't get any of the estate, but they get 10% for their dowry. The first daughter, Rachel, decides, ah, I'm going to be clever. I'm going to take 10% now for the dowry. Then, and then the son dies, leaving 50% to each sister. The first opinion is, Amar Rav Yochanan, Shniya Vitra. Rav Yochanan says, Leah lost out on her 10%. She doesn't get a special 10%. She just gets half the estate, and she'll take care of her own dowry. Ve'amar le Rav Chanina. Rav Chanina says, what are you talking about? How do you say that we don't give her 10%? G'day lo mizu amru. Think about the importance of giving her a dowry. Motzin le parnasa. Ve'in motzin le mezonos. We will undo sales of the father did in order to give her a dowry. We won't do that to supply her with uh, you know, uh, regular food throughout the week, right? Mizonos, right? Just like regular, you know, food money that we're not going to do, but we'll do that for her dowry. So we're going to undo sales for her dowry. And you don't think we're going to give her 10%? Of course, they're going to give her 10%. What do you see from here? The kids are, this is a roundabout way of saying, we will undo sales of a property in order to supply her with a dowry. Now, the dowry is not written anywhere. It doesn't say in the ksuva, I'm going to give my deceased, after I die, I'm going to give my daughter a dowry. It doesn't say that anywhere. It doesn't say it in any documents. And yet, we undo it. Why? Because it's a set amount. So you see that all you need is a set amount. If it's a set amount, even if it's not written anywhere, we will undo a sale, and the person can't complain. What's the person going to say? Now, why are you taking it away? It's, a se- it's 10%. It's a 10%. Society said it was 10%. 10%. That was understood. It was 10%. So because Takonis Chazal was 10%, yes, the 10% obviously could vary based on your wealth, but it's 10%. At least it's a set amount. You see that Parnasa, right, the dowry, which is a set amount, but it's not written anywhere, and they take it out. So you see, all that matters is the amount, whether it's set or not, as opposed to like improvements, which are could be anywhere. And it doesn't matter whether it's written. The answer is no. Shani Parnasa, Kivan de Isla, Kala Keman de Chsiva Dami. The answer is that's not a good example. Dowries, because it was Takanas Chazal, it's as if it was written. Meaning, yes, it's not written anywhere, but it's common knowledge. That's not a good proof. We're looking for something that is a set amount that's not written in any document. And, and maybe a lot of people don't know about it. Everybody knows that when a man passes away, they're going to give 10% of the estate to the dowry. It's takanas chazal. And therefore, yes, while it's not technically written anywhere, it's kemichtav tchsiv adami. It's so common knowledge, it's not a good example. Okay, so let's try to find another proof. Maser v'hunabar menoach. 
I have a kasha. Meisu b'neiseihem, nizonis. Okay, this is a case. We have this in Ksubis. Uh, I'll just tell you the case very quickly. Um, I can't think of like names, but okay. A guy marries a woman and she has a daughter from a previous marriage. Okay. He agrees to give her five years of food. He's going to take care of the daughter, the stepdaughter for five years. They get divorced after a year. She marries someone else. She gets the second guy to sign off to take care of the daughter for five years. The halach is they both have to give her money. The first one has to give her, one has to give her actual food and one has to give her the value of food in cash. But they both have to give it because they both agreed. Okay, so now think, I'm, I'm one of the guys, right? So I have to take care of my this st- ex-stepdaughter, right? Because it's not even the stepdaughter anymore because I, I divorced her, right? An ex-stepdaughter, I got to supply her for five years and that's an obligation. And that's a set amount I have to, for five years. After he passes away, he has actual daughters, and he's got this ex-stepdaughter. What's the halacha? Mesu, if he dies, or both of them die, it doesn't matter. Binoisehem, their actual biological daughters, is nezonus minachasim nechorin, will only get fed from liquid cash that he has. We will not undo sales that he did in order to supply his daughters with food. But, but his ex-stepdaughter's obligation, we will undo sales. Because, why? Because it's a chayv. Right? You, you made a deal. It's a chayv. It's not like, listen, supplying for your daughters, that's, that's an obligation every man has. This is takanas You made a deal. You owed her money. It's the equivalent of saying, I owe any guy money. Now let me ask you a question. We will undo sales in order to supply this ex-stepdaughter with food and with money. Why? Because it's an obligation. Was that written anywhere? No. It wasn't written anywhere. It was a set amount. Yes, it's a set amount. It's five years. I understand. It's five years, the average amount of money that a child needs to eat for five years. I, I'm sure they could put a, put a cash value on it. But it's not written anywhere. So, oh, so you see, set amount is all you need. So just the verbal agreement. Oh, so the Gemara says, well, maybe it wasn't a verbal agreement. The Gemara is assuming it's a verbal agreement. The Gemara says, no. You made a Kenyan. So wait a minute. If you made a Kenyan, then why didn't you make a Kenyan for your own daughters? Oh, so why, why, why? So you're only one second. Again, we're making a differentiation between his biological daughters and his ex stepdaughter, and we're saying the difference is his ex stepdaughter. You made a kinyan. His biological daughters, he didn't. Why not? The answer is you made a kinyan for one and not the other. Why would I do that? What, like if he's willing to do a kinyan to require himself to take care of his ex stepdaughter, it would probably make sense that he would do a kinyan for his actual daughter. I mean, it makes sense. Why would you even? Think that and it's so automatic. That's what I was thinking. The Gemara doesn't offer that. I was thinking the same thing. So the Gemara says, My Pasca, why are you assuming one and not the other? The answer is Oh, so the Gemara the Gemara at first thinks like this. The truth is, he did make a Kenyan for both, but it only works for the exceptor. I'll tell you why. When okay, think about the case. He gets married to this woman who brings in a daughter. The day of their wedding, he makes a Kenyan, Khalipin, I'm gonna take care of this little girl for five years. Boom. It works. Kenyan, everyone's involved, fine. He also made a Kenyan on that same day to take care of his daughters. Now, his daughters don't, don't exist yet, right? We assume he probably did it on the same day. The day that he got married, when the stepdaughter is alive, he made a Kenyan. He made that same Kenyan having his biological daughters in mind, but they don't exist yet. So, Why the reason... Because he just got married. He got married. What, he, about, what about his daughters from other marriages? Oh, so, no, it has to be a daughters from this marriage. 
So it's from this woman. So she brings in a stepdaughter. He makes a Kenyan. That Kenyan takes care of his ex-stepdaughter or stepdaughter, whatever. But it doesn't work for his biological because they don't exist yet. So the Gemara says... Why? Because the daughters aren't existing yet. How are they not existing? Because when you get married, the day of the chasana, if you're an Orthodox Jew, you don't have biological children from this woman. So Gemara says, I'll tell you how it could work. Okay? This is the case. Avram is marrying Sarah. Sarah is bringing into the marriage a stepdaughter. Day of the marriage, fine. They get married, they have a kid. So now they have a stepdaughter and an actual daughter. They get divorced. Then he remarries her. The day of his second marriage, he makes a Kenyan, having in mind his biological daughter and his ex and his stepdaughter, both in existence. So why doesn't that work? I mean, it's like because probably that's not the case. But the Gemara is like, well, why isn't that the case, right? You want to try to cover all your bases. You're saying the reason why it doesn't work on the step on the actual daughter is because she doesn't exist yet. Because how does she exist the day of the marriage? Well, she could exist if it's their second marriage. So she came into the marriage. By the way, that would also mean that it happened to a second husband. Also, she got married like six times in this case. She's a, a gold digger. Yeah, she's she, she's she's a serial marrier. So she got married five times. Bekitzer. So the Gemara says. Uh, but why can't you have the biological daughter and the stepdaughter existing at the day of the wedding? How could that be? Right? She came into the marriage with a, with a daughter, so it's a stepdaughter. You marry her, have a kid, divorce her, then remarry her. And on the day of the second marriage with her, you have your stepdaughter and your biological daughter, both alive. And, so, and you do the Kenyan, and the Kenyan only works for one and not the other. Why? So the answer is, so the Gemara gives an answer that's like easily rejected because it doesn't understand it. The Gemara says, you know what the difference is? The daughter you have to take care of because of Bezdin. Bezdin requires you to take care of your daughter. The Kenyan doesn't work. But this stepdaughter who you have no obligation, the Kenyan works. So think about that. That means that because you're obligated from Bezdin to take care of her, it doesn't work. Meaning, because there's an obligation from Bezdin, the Kenyan is not acceptable. So because there's an obligation... Why is it an obligation from Bezdin? Bezdin says you have to take care of your biological daughter. That's part of the obligation. So you're telling me, oh, because it's an obligation from Bezdin, it doesn't work. So because it's an obligation from Bezdin, I, I can't make a Kenyan on it. It should be easier to make a Kenyan, right? Like if I have to do something, isn't it easier? Like it's like I, I can't require myself to light the menorah because you have to. Well, if I have to, then it should be easier to require myself. So the Gemara says, wait a minute, the Gemara, that doesn't make any sense. So the Gemara says, no. You know the difference is? You can make a Kenyan all you want. Right? On the same day, you have your biological daughter and your ex-stepdaughter there, and you make a Kenyan for both. One, it works. One, it doesn't work. You want to know why? Very simple. Because you have to take care of your daughter, we're worried that you actually side on the side gave her cash. Meaning we're never going to undo a sale in order to take care of your daughter's obligation. Not because it's so weak, but because it's so strong. When, you, when they come to, let's say I bought land from you. And they're like, hey, we want to we wanna take the land away. I'm like, why are you taking the land away? We want to take care of his ex-stepdaughter. Okay, fine. Ex-stepdaughter, what can I do? It's an obligation. We want to take care of his daughters. I'm like, wait a minute. His daughters he has to take care of. They're like, so? If he has to take care of us, I'm sure he wrote them a check before he passed away. So because there's a chance that he actually gave them money on the side because he knows it's an obligation and he wants to make sure all his obligations are covered, we're actually not going to take it away from you. So it's like, it's a little bit counterintuitive. Okay, now, 
we'll go with Rashi Pshat. Very, very simple. We, we, we finished yesterday, we said, we started today's daf by saying that we will not undo sales in order to take care of improvements that were made on stolen property. Why? Even, one opinion is Ula says because it's not written down. And Rav Hanina says because it's not a set amount. The problem is there's a price that gives a third reason. <laughs> <laughs> the Gemara says, wait a minute, Tashima, I'm Rav Nassim. Rav Nassim says, I have a brysa. What does the brysa say? Amosai, when do we not undo sales for improvements? Bizman shekadam mechay shel sheni l'shivchay shel rishon. Avokadam shivchay shel rishon l'mechay shel sheni goivim in chasim shubadim. Says the brysa, we only don't undo sales if the improvements happened after the property was sold. Meaning, think about it. I buy, I'll just try to make this case as simple as I can. I buy land, I, I, I buy lands from you, okay? He buy lands from you, we both buy lands. Mine is stolen. Cops come and take it away. I want money back. So you say, well, I don't have any money, but I sold him land. So I will take your land to, for my actual, the land that was stolen. But let's say the land, I, you wrote me a check for the land. But I like, I like the improvements, please. That was $200,000 I put into the land. I like it back. They say, well, I don't have any money. All I have is this $200,000 piece of land that I sold to Mr. Lord. I, I cannot take it. Says the Brisa, that's only true if the improvements happened. Says the Gemara, That's only true if my improvements happened after he bought the land. But if, let's say, my improvement happens first, meaning you sold land to me, I bought it, I improved it, I made it beautiful. Then you sold land to Mr. Lord, I could take it back. Why? Because by the time it was sold to you, it was sort of like already owed to me because I already did the improvements. If you sold it to me and sold it to him, and then I did the improvements, I can't take it away from him. But if my improvements happened before it was sold to the second guy, I can take it away. Co- correct, correct. But that's the point. What do you see? What? Oh, so what do you see? What? No, no. So what? So what do you see? What? What's the point? You see that it's neither ksuvin according to Rashi or ksuvin because we said yesterday across the board you can't do it either because it's there's no set amount or because it's not written. According to this, it's actually you could do it. It's not ksuvim and it's ksuvim. You're right. This brisa is in disagreement with everything we've said till now. Here's the problem. This is a brisa. Those people talking were Ula and Rav Hanina who were Amiroyim. That's the problem. The problem is this brysa is not like what we said, because this brysa says you could undo the sales no, under certain circumstances. Correct, but it's the kasha. How could these amiroyim be choy looking at a brysa? So the Gemara says, Tanoihi, the truth is, it is a machleg. You're right, this brysa is not like them, but there is a brysa that they are following. So there's three opinions, either because it's binary, yes or no, meaning no because it's not ksuvim, no because it's not ksuvim, or this brysa, which it depends on the time, the time, uh, the timeline. Says the Gemara, Tanoihi, the truth is, Ula and Rav Hanina are following a brysa. You're right, they're not like this Rav Nassim's brysa, they're like the following brysa, the Tanya. So Ksuvin and Ksuvin are two opinions in this price, and that's what Ulan Rav Hanina follow, and it's not like Rav Nassim. You're right. According to Ulan Rav Hanina, you're never going to undo sales. It doesn't matter of when it happened, either because it's not written down or because there's no set amount. This Brysa disagrees with that, but they're following a Brysa too. So, okay, so it's a Machlekes Tanoim. It's three opinions.
Well, it, two two reasons in one opinion and a, a second opinion. Okay, now let's just uh, uh, let's run through the next omnis very, very quickly. It won't be too difficult. We said in the Mishnah that if I find a lost object and I return it, I do not have to swear. Now let me explain to you the following case. Very simple case. I'll go with a wallet because I think that's a good case. I find a wallet. I return it to you. In the wallet is fifty bucks. You say when I dropped the wallet, there were hundred dollars. So you're claiming. There were hundred dollars. I'm claiming fifty. You know what that's called? That's called maida bemixus. I'm agreeing. It's not like I'm saying there was no money. I'm agreeing to mixus. I'm agreeing to half of your claim. The truth is, in this scenario, I should have to swear on a biblical level, right? Maida bemixus hataina yeshava. You're claiming I owe you fifty bucks. I'm right. You're claiming that there was hundred dollars in here that you sort of. You put it was left in my estate a hundred dollars of yours. I say it was only fifty. That's called maybe mixus. But says the Mishnah, we don't make you swear because then no one's going to give back lost objects. You should just be happy you got anything. Okay, fine. Says the Gemara. Well, I'm not going to. I'm not going to return a lost object. If I'm going to go court now. I'm trying to be a good guy. You're going to make me swear now going to court. I'm spending my day now in the city going to court. No, I'm not doing that. No. Exactly, exactly. Now says the Gemara, now Rav Yitzchak seems to disagree. Now Rav Yitzchak feels you do have to swear. Now the Gemara is going to ask how Rav Yitzchak could argue in a Mishnah, we'll put that aside. But the point is Rav Yitzchak does believe you have to swear only when the guy who lost the object has a definitive claim. Meaning, I'll give you the following case. Our case in the Mishnah, the guy's like, my wallet had $100. I'm 100% positive $100. He's like, no, it had 50 bucks. According to Rav Yitzchak, you'll have to swear. But let's say I'm like, are you sure it was a, f- a 50? I don't know. I thought it might have been 100. I might have been 50. I'm not sure. You're not going to swear because I'm not definitive. You understand? Rav Yitzchak feels, unlike our Mishnah, he feels you do swear, but only if it's definitive. So let's see that inside. And then we'll ask... No, 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 no. Some claims are more definitive than others. My point is, if the claim is definitive, what do you mean? I am definitive. I know there's $100 in there. That's definitive. That's a definitive claim. No, I'm not going to go... No, Rav Yitzchuk doesn't. Rav Yitzchuk doesn't feel it. What do you mean? You go. You're called to court. We'll get to how Rav Yitzchuk look on the mission in a second. It says the Gemara. Um, Rav Yitzchuk. Rav Yitzchuk says Shnei Kisin Kshurin Matzasili Matzasili Valoyim Matzasili Echad Nishma. You returned to me a wallet, and I was like, Hey, there were two wallets tied together. Where's the second wallet? That's a definitive claim. I'm saying you owe me two wallets, and he, you say there was only one. I have to swear. But Shnei Shvarim Kshurin Matzasili. What, what if a guy brings down an ox and he's like, hey, this is your lost ox. And I'm like, hey, there were two oxen uh, tied together. Where's the other one? That's, you're not going to swear because even when I make the claim of two, it's possible they pulled apart. I'm just saying that there were originally two oxen. But what you're saying, I'm not definitive that you stole one because by the time you got there, you see wallets don't separate. But oxen separate. So therefore, it's not a definitive claim that if you don't have to swear. So, Versus exactly. The difference is oxen pull away, wallets don't pull away. Okay, let's go weiter. If I claim there were two wallets and and you say there were only one, you have to swear because I'm saying a definitive claim. You're also and you're not agreeing with me. You might have mixed us. But if I say there were two oxen and you say I only found one, I'm not saying you stole an ox because maybe the oxen pulled apart before you got there. What if I say, hey, I lost two oxen. And you say, I found two oxen, but I returned one to you yesterday. You don't remember? 
that's a definitive claim. Because now you're agreeing that there were two. I'm saying I didn't get the second one. You're saying you gave it to me. That's Maidim and Mixus, and you have to swear. Now here's the Kasha. How does Rav Yitzchak not agree with our Mishnah? Our Mishnah says, go to the next page. Our Mishnah says that in a case where you find a lost object, that if you have a lost object, you don't have to swear. So why is Rav Yitzchak making you swear? The answer is, The answer is, Rav Yitzchak follows Rav Yitzchak Yaakov. You do have to swear on a Metziah. Now, it could stop right here. And be like, okay, he follows a different price. The problem is, what we're going to basically do is going to do five minutes. We're going to run through this Ahmed very quickly to prove Rav Yitzchak Yaakov's opinion. But basically, Rav Yaakov's opinion is that Maidah B'mixas, Ba'ya and Aved, you also have to swear. And he follows Rav Yaakov. It's just because Rav Yaakov is a little bit unclear, we're going to go through the whole thing. But basically, B'kitzah, Rav Yitzchak follows a different opinion. Tanya, the B'raiza says, Rav Yaakov, Omer, Pa'am Sha'adam Nishbal Tainis Atzmo. Rav Yaakov says, I have a scenario where someone will have to swear based on his own Taina. Meaning, based on his own speaking, he's going to make himself swear. What's the case? Ketzad. Okay, so So that means that someone goes over to someone who's uh, an orphan, right? You go over to someone who lost his father, and you say, I owed your father $100, but I already paid him half. So I'm starting this whole thing, right? So it's like, like, you, like I would say, just let it be, right? It says the halacha, you have to swear. And this is an example of swearing based on your own admission. The Chum disagree. They say, The Chum say, wait, wait a minute. How come you don't have to swear when someone finds a lost object? Because you should just be happy that you got anything, right? No one had to return it to you. You should just be happy. Over here, a guy comes to me and says, I owed your father $100, but I paid him 50 That's a Meshav Aveda. He didn't have to say anything at all. So the fact that he said it, you should just be happy. You don't have to make him swear. So you see, the Revelezim and Yaakov makes you swear even when it's similar to a lost object. Because in this case, the guy comes and he says, I owed your father $100, but I paid him 50 already. The Chum say, don't make him swear because he didn't have to start this entire conversation. The Chum the Revelezim and Yaakov said, make him swear. So the Gemara says, Revelezim and Yaakov will, basically will just probe Rav Lezben Yaakov to get to the point. Rav Lezben Yaakov, Lesley Meshavei the Potter, Rav Lezben Yaakov doesn't believe in this concept of returning a lost object, meaning he's giving you 50 bucks, that's found money. You, know, you weren't going to get that money anyway, so just, why are you making him swear for? It should be like, Tikkun Oilam, let it be. Says the Gemara, Amarav, Betoyen the case is where the child, the underbar mitzvah orphan, claimed, it wasn't that I went over to the kid and I said, hey, I owed your father 100 bucks, but I gave him 50. No, no, the kid claims, my father told me before he died, you owe me $100. And he says, I already paid you 50. So says the Gemara, Wait, wait, wait. Do you think we listen to a child, an eight-year-old goes over to you and says, you owe me $100, you think that that's a claim at all? The Mishnah says, We don't listen to the Tain of a Katan. So what do you mean? The case is where a Katan tells it to you, who cares? It's nothing, it's meaningless. So the Gemara first attempt is, my Katan Gadol. Really, it's not a Katan, it's a Gadol. The kid's 20, and it is a legitimate claim. 
And why are we calling him a katan? Because he's a yasom and he's trying to get involved in his father's estate. He's a child in the regard that he's not involved in his father's estate. He's like a child because he doesn't really know what's going on in his father's affairs. So wait a minute. So the case, according to Avos Ben Yaakov, is a 20-year-old man goes over to you and says, you owe, me, you owe my father $100, and he says, I only owe him 50 So wait a minute. So why did Rav Elizabeth Yaakov, that sounds like a regular claim in court. So why did Rav Elizabeth Yaakov say, this is an example of tainus atzmo. This is an example of someone paying based on his own admission. It's not an his own admission. He was brought to court by a 20-year-old. That's not a, his own ad- admission. It was someone else's admission. So the Gemara says, It's someone else, someone else got into court, but he admitted let me ask you a question. Isn't every single time you have to pay like that? Someone takes me to court and I admit to partially of it. Like a, a big chiddush. I have a case where you have to pay based on your own admission because they took me to court and I admit it. Well, that's every case of court. Someone brings you to court and you admit to partial claim. That's not such a chiddush. The Gemara says... That's every single claim in court. So what's going on with Elzim and Yaakov? So it says the Gemara, really the case is it's a child. That a child is the one who brought him to court. So, what's the what, what's the machloekis about? The whole machloekis is understanding Rabbah. Let me explain. Right, we know that on a biblical level, you only have to swear when it's moide b'mixes hataina. Why do you have to swear when it's moide b'mixes on a biblical level? Because Rabbah explained. Rabbah said, Rabbah explained the following. Why is it that you have to swear? When it's moide b'mixes, because chazaka in other is panam v'nei Because the truth is, a person would not have the chutzpah. If I actually owe you $100, I would not have the chutzpah to say I owe you nothing. I can't do that. So really the truth is, every time I admit 50, this is what really happened. I actually owe you all of it. I can't say I owe you nothing because I don't have the chutzpah. So I should just say I owe you 100 The problem is I don't have $100. So I'm saying, let me say 50 I can handle 50 bucks, and then... I'll eventually get him the other fifty dollars. Exactly, it's a delay tactic. So really, he wants to entirely deny the claim. But you can't, because that's the level of chutzpah you don't have. So why don't you just admit you owe all of it? Because you're trying to evade it, because you don't have a hundred dollars. You're saying, listen, I'll pay 50 now and I'll get him the money later. And the Torah says, So the Torah says, we're going to make him swear because we believe that he's lying. So every moida b'mixus, we actually believe you actually entirely owe it. You see, if you come into me and you say, you owe me $100, I say, I owe you nothing, we believe you because you would never have the chutzpah to say, you owe you nothing if you actually owned him something. You actually, so when you say, I owe you 50, that's your way of saying, I really owe you 100, I just, I'm trying to evade. But says Rabba, so, so what's why do we let him swear if he knows it's gonna be a, it's gonna No, be because a once because one, under oath, no one's gonna swear, no one's gonna lie under oath. That's why we make him swear. So what's the machalikas about between Ravalaz Ben Yaakov and the Rabbanan? Ravalaz Ben Yaakov Savar Loishna Bai Veloishna Bibnoi Ainoimeis. The, the, the Rav Lezben Yaakov feels that a person, there's no difference between Moedim and Mixus in a case where you make a claim against me, in a case where your son makes a claim against me, in a case where it's Meshav Aveda. In all scenarios, if you're Moedim and Mixus, that's a sign of guilt. 
Rabbana disagree. They say, The Rabbana disagree. They say, no, no, no. This whole premise of Meshav, of Megdim Mixes that you have to swear is because a person would never... Right, let me ask you a question. I'll end with this. If you say I owe you $100 and I say I owe you 50 why isn't that a proof that I'm saying the truth? I could just say I owe you nothing. The answer is because you can never say I owe you nothing because that's a level of chutzpah you don't have. So you, owe, you have no choice but to admit you owe something. And therefore, if you're admitting something, you might owe all of it because you don't have a choice of saying you owe zero because that's a level of chutzpah. There are abundant feel that's only true when the claimant itself is asking for money. But if it's the guy's son, I would lie to his face. I'd say I owe him zero. I don't care about him. I'm not embarrassed to lie to his face. The fact that I say 50, that's the truth. Same thing when it comes to a lost object. They're arguing the same thing. A guy comes and he says, hey, I, I found $50 here. He's like, I lost 100 bucks." The question is, would a person, would a person lie to the Balaveda's face? Rav Lezer says, no, he wouldn't. That's chutzpah. He would never do that. And the fact that he's saying 50, that means he's taka might owe 100. Let him swear. The Rabbanon feel, no, the whole premise is because he would never say zero. So the fact that he's saying something, that means that he's lying. But he would say zero if it's a balaveda. So if a guy comes and he says, you, I, I, I lost 100, and I'm like, I, you only lost 50. I only found 50. I'd lie to you. I'd say zero. I have no problem lying to your face. The fact that I'm saying that means it's the truth. So the machlekes is basically, by an Aveda, would a person lie to someone's face and say, I owe you zero by an Aveda? Rabbanan say yes, and the fact that he's saying 50, that's, that means he's telling the truth. Let it be. Rav Elizabeth Yaakov and Rav Yitzchak, who follows Elizabeth Yaakov, say no. A person would never claim zero if they know that they're lying to someone's face. They never do it. The fact that he says 50, that itself is more of a, a damaging claim than 50. Than zero. Why don't we Stop say it. a Pesha, I'm sorry, a Pesha So it's a Shaila. You're asking a good question. Why don't you say Amigu? It's a, it's a good Shaila. It's a very good child. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a very good child. I didn't have time, but I think the art school has a very long oh, yeah. note at the bottom to try to fend for that. It's a good child. Oh. Turn it off. Yeah.